Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, Saul Marquez here. I get what a phenomenal asset a podcast could be for your business and also how frustrating it is to navigate editing and production, monetization, and achieving the ROI you're looking for. Technical busy work shouldn't stop you from getting your genius into the world though. You should be able to build your brand easily with a professional podcast that gets attention. A patched up podcast could ruin your business. Let us do the technical busy work behind the scenes while you share your genius on the mic and take the industry stage. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast. Saul Marquez here, and today I have the privilege of hosting Tim Panagos. He's the co-founder and chief technology officer at microshare.io. Tim is an entrepreneur, philosopher, engineer, and co-founder and chief technology officer at microshare.io, which combines wireless data sources to allow better decision-making while respecting the privacy of the individual. Microshare's universal contact tracing solution has been adopted globally as the centerpiece of comprehensive COVID-19 responses. Tim is an AI industry veteran with more than 25 years of developing data-driven applications for banking, healthcare, retail, and manufacturing companies. He studied computer science at the University of New Hampshire and holds a master's in management of technology from MIT. Tim's been working on how organizations could be data-driven while allowing individuals to maintain agency and privacy in the face of high-resolution digital twins created by online and offline digital measurements. I am uh, really privileged to have them here to talk to us about the really interesting work that they're doing at MicroShare. And so with that, Tim, I want to give you a warm Oh, very much. Thank you. And thank you for working your way around that mouthful. <laughs> no, nah, man, you, you, you're up to some really neat things specifically around COVID-19. But but overall, you know, h- how we're doing, you know, the best things to engage with the people we want to engage with and influence behaviors. And so talk to us a little bit about you and what got you involved in healthcare to begin with. Yeah. Um, so I'm a technologist, obviously. And for most of my career, I've been thinking about sort of data in general and how it can be used to make better business decisions, right? So writ large. But I got involved in more of the healthcare space when I went to uh, back to school to get my master's degree. I actually spent a lot of time looking at how we could use these kind of technologies to improve the way we manage elderly, um, specifically with kind of uh, supported aging in place and this is going back now 20 years, but it was really very interesting to me because I had aging parents very early. My father particularly was, um, was, was on the older side for a, a young technologist. And, you know, I really wanted to explore a more compassionate mechanism to support his aging. And so really did a deep dive into how all that worked. And it led me into really the sort of medical or at least quasi-medical area to kind of think about, you know, this ecosystem of aging in place. And, and, And over time became to realize that, you know, there's nothing necessarily specific about aging in place as much as being well in place. And what does that mean, right? What places and what kind of wellness well, there's some details there, but you know, it just became clear to me that everybody needs to do um, to have a more supportive environment to help them live the best lives they can. You know, that's super interesting, and I always find inspiring. You know, how entrepreneurs get into healthcare. For you, it was your dad, 
and you know, just kind of wanting something to make sense. There's so many things in our buildings. There's so many things that are oftentimes connected that we're not leveraging, oftentimes not connected that should be connected. (laughs) And so what you're doing is helping make facilities smarter so we could be safer. And so, you know, I'll be honest, this concept of contact tracing is new to me. I love if you could, you know, level set there. Tell us a little bit about what exactly that is. And then we could dive into some of the ways that you guys are offering value to the healthcare ecosystem. Does that sound yeah, like for sure? Cool. Well, you can be forgiven for contact tracing being new to you because it's new to everybody, um, okay. ourselves cool. including. If I, I couldn't have predicted as we entered 2020 that this would be the biggest part of our business, but now many months into 2020, looking at 2021, we find ourselves in a strange spot of being a market leader in a thing that didn't exist uh, nine months ago, really. Yeah. And um, it, it ultimately is um, important to the moment. And I think will be ongoing importance uh, as people think about whatever the new normal is to returning, returning to their workplaces in a more uh, safe way. But contact tracing, to put simply, is really the process that allows people to backtrack from an infection to look at once we have a a confirmed case of COVID-19 or or really any infectious disease, how do we go back in time and analyze the uh, sort of social network of who that person has been in the presence of and interacted with in a way that might increase the risk of those folks to also contract the disease, in this case, the uh, COVID-19 disease. And, um, you know, it's really a, a process more than it is a technology Mm-hmm. Um, some people are doing this manually. Um, you see people in the state specifically have implemented this as, you know, let me call you if you've got a, a positive diagnosis and then ask you, who have you talked to in the last two weeks? Who have you had contact with? In other words, have you come within six feet of, of different people? And what I think university universally is being experienced is not everybody remembers yeah. um, who they had contact with over a just think back two weeks, man, that seems like forever to me. Um, who might I have uh, interactions with, particularly if you're not already in quarantine, right? Um, if you're back in a work environment, particularly maybe it's a hospital environment or a manufacturing environment, you're going to interact with a lot of people through the course of your day. How can you conclusively say you've remembered them all? And so what's developed around that process are supportive technologies, right? Things that will help record those contact events so that you can either support the human memory, kind of jog memory, or, you know, provide another way of sort of uh, providing a more holistic view of that overarching risk. And um, so that's really what contact tracing in the technology space has come to mean. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, level setting there. And and I would imagine it's a process designed to to limit the spread of disease, right? I mean, just to understand where it's coming from and how to avoid it. Yeah. It's sort of, you know, optimizing the well-being across the population, right? And, um, you know, we do most of our work within the context of a particular commercial environment, right? So it might be an airport, a hospital, an office building, a factory. Um, So we're not generally doing it for a government or a jurisdiction, which means that fundamentally the employer is worried about what's happening in their envelope But at the same time, the people who are uh, transiting that space, right, be they customers, employees, patients, vendors, what they care about is what's the impact on my coworkers, my family, and my friends, right? So it gets 
really personal to them. But from the employer's perspective, you know, they're looking to provide a optimized environment for people, right? That balances well-being with productivity and returns people to a zone where they can be effective at work as, as much as they possibly can in these times. So it's a bit of a balance between that individual mandate and the, the overarching company's mandate. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And so, you know, I think this pandemic and really the way that healthcare is evolving, more and more employers and also thought leaders are pointing to the importance of health begins outside of the hospital. And, right. you know, this movement that you're, you and your team are spearheading, Tim, is fascinating to me and I'm sure to a lot of the listeners. And so, Talk to us about how you guys are doing it. You know, and examples work best here. If you have an example of how you've been able to deploy a solution like this, how it's improved outcomes, what exactly came out of it, that'd be great. Um, absolutely. I think that's right. So, you know, we hear stories and, and see, see video coming out of healthcare environments around COVID and it's, um, it's heartbreaking, right? What happens at the tail end of this, right? The, the overarching outcomes when it gets that far uh, are not great, right? Even though we're doing a lot better, obviously. And many thanks to all the listeners for as much work as they put in and, and as much expertise as they've acquired in a short amount of time. It's, it's impressive. But I think we can all agree the best the best scenario is keep people out of the intensive care units, right? And so we really are kind of trying to shift our mission to be oriented towards extending the insights that we might be developing in a scientific or clinical setting, and then washing those best practices back in a way that can support the, the behavioral changes of the individuals and the organizations that would minimize, you know, the the impact, the spread, and the maybe flattening the curve, right, of controlling the uh, the potential deluge um, into the the healthcare environment. And I think that's really important. And again, it it follows the theme of using data to kind of break down where human intuition fails us and support uh, human behavioral change, and um, ultimately hopefully uh, have everybody be able to make the decisions that optimize the health of themselves, their family and their, and their coworkers. Yeah. And, and so how does it work, Tim? Like, oh, yeah, you know, yes, for well, an example, yeah, of course. yeah, yeah, no, that's okay. And, and uh, you know, just, I'm just wanting to like put some handles on this, right? Like, yeah. 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 Know? So we've had maybe a manufacturing environment is, um, is a good angle to start with. We have had some really fantastic early adopters of this technology in the biotech and pharmaceutical space and uh, manufacturers. And, um, you know, they're presented with a unique challenge, uh, particularly early on, which is they are manufacturing the very medicines and treatments that are necessary to help the globe adapt to this uh, healthcare problem. So it was really important early on to allow their employees to get back to creating those life-saving medicines to ensure that, you know, we have an ongoing supply that's robust. So this was, you know, maybe not surprisingly, the very first wave that was interested in any solution that would balance that employee wellness with the, you know, truly critical uh, nature of the work that they were doing. And um, so, you know, by way of example, you know, we've got some of these manufacturers who have global manufacturing for their pharmaceuticals. And in often cases, we're talking about less uh, developed areas, right? So Southeast Asia would be a good example um, where they um, they actually do manufacturing for maybe some of the more uh, developed areas. Um, what we find is that they've got highly trained staff, but often those staff either don't have cell phones 
or they're not allowed to bring their cell phones into their hospital, uh, into the manufacturing environment uh, mm -hmm. because these are clean environments, right? So they're very restricted into what kind of things they can wear and, and carry into those environments. So they couldn't count on sort of cell phone contact tracing, which has been maybe the default that people have put forward. Um, certainly Google and Apple have made great strides to allowing their smartphones to be used for this purpose. But we find that there's plenty of environments where you can't assume people have those kind of devices right. or can take them with them. So what we went to was really a wearable strategy where you can have a device that you can carry that's very unobtrusive. It um, often takes the form of a bracelet or a, a small medallion that you can put on a keychain or a lanyard. And um, some cases we've, we've had uh, manufacturing clients have put them into washable wristbands or, or armbands that they could wear oh, under their, gotcha, gotcha. Their, uh, their, their their uniforms, but basically allows them to uh, ignore uh, the need for a smartphone and still have high resolution contact. Basically what it does is these devices will sense the presence of another device and give you a sense of the duration of a contact and the distance of a contact. So it can tell roughly whether we're six feet apart for five minutes or three feet apart for 60 minutes. And that information then can be consolidated using some AI tools in the cloud to give you a risk score. Hmm. So that if you happen to be tested positive at some stage, you may have interacted casually with a thousand people in a factory floor um, over time, you know, different shift changes and interactions with supervisors, uh, interactions with machines. Um, that you might have touched and, and left fomites behind. Um, it's actually a fairly complex question, but we can use AI tools in this data to give administrators a way to prioritize their response because they don't want to shut the whole factory down. It's important that the business remains um, functional, but they want to sort of direct to the most likely areas to either encourage more quarantine of people to provide additional testing or you know whatever the resources that they have available are generally are scarce resources they want to give them to the people who are most likely impacted so what we will do is from the thousand potential people that you may might have contacted on a factory floor we'll narrow it down to you know some number of of really high risk uh, contacts and they might be high risk because you've had multiple contacts throughout the period. It might be duration of a single contact. It might be proximity. But, you know, we've actually been working with um, some universities and, um, and pharmaceutical folks who have some, some really important models that help us to really define that risk. And it's, and it's about then putting that back into the hands of the individuals and the human resources, typically, department whose job it is to really um, to care for those pokes and, and limit the spread. Man, that is interesting. And it seems difficult. It feels like it's one of those things where, wow, like there's a lot involved, you know? And, and yeah. um, But when you're dealing with so many people moving around in an environment, you got to have a way to do it, right? And, and do you find that this is typically in larger environments with masses of people? I think that's right, Saul. So, you know, okay. We are kind of specializing in wireless sensing in general, right? So even before contact tracing in 2020, it's about you know doing this at scale. Um, if you just think about a normal building, right? If I have one doctor's office that I manage and it's got you know four exam rooms, a waiting room, and a, an administrative area, that's complex enough. But 
the chances are I understand my building fairly well. I will see where it's too cold or too warm. I'll notice that there's leaks and uh, it might still be a challenge to, to trace contact, but you know, I've got lists of patients and I know what my staff are. It's manageable, right? So a human can get away with that. But when you start scaling that up, right? Now it's not just one practice area, it's 10. And it's not just, you know, 5,000 square feet, it's, you know, 500,000 square feet. These are environments that you just can't expect the human mind to be able to balance the complexity of managing it the way we, we generally do by walking around. It's now at the scale where you really need support, particularly when you throw everything out the window, like we have with um, something unprecedented like uh, COVID-19, where, you know, there isn't a well-worn path for how to handle this stuff. So you really need to give people the tools that will allow them to keep doing what they need to do without expecting them to already understand it, right? Because it's just, it's, it's, it's beyond experience, right? So I do think it's at scale where this really uh, comes to play primarily. And, um, and I think that's what we've really focused on. It's, it's people with with larger, more complex organizations. And I think that's that's been bearing fruit for people. Fascinating. And, and, you know, I'm curious. So, you know, two of the things we like to focus on here on the podcast, Tim, are outcomes improvement and yeah. business innovation, like, you know, business model innovation. Can you point to either of those two items and maybe talk to how you guys have been able to improve one or the other or both? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think the ink is not at all dry yet on our you know, current crisis and, and how contact tracing will play into it. So from an outcomes, the early experience that we have is less on the efficacy of preventing transmission, because ultimately we, we do hope that's what we're getting to is making better decisions so we limit transmission. And the data just isn't really available yet at the scale necessary to know. But what we can tell really early on is that humans will show up to work reluctantly with something like this. And it really depends on the trust level they have for their environment, right? Whether that's the employer or the jurisdiction or the building manager, you know, the people who transit a space have different ways of thinking about why and who they trust in that. But it does end up being a human problem, right? Do I trust my my janitorial staff to be cleaning? Do I trust the hospital administrator to have my, um, my back? Um, do I trust my coworkers to be helping me protect myself and my family. What we do see really early on is by putting some of these supportive solutions in place and making it clear to the people who are working in or transiting the space because they're customers or patients that the effort of showing them that we're, that the organizations are going to the trouble to manage this and that they care enough to be investing this way does at least give people more comfort that leads to better productivity, right? That you can... Sure at least for a moment, park this to the side and say, I can trust this organization to at least be thinking about the problem, right? They're not all seeing, all knowing, but at least they're worried about it. At least they're taking steps. And then I think when you fold in other things, not just contact tracing, but you know, visible cleaning and employee feedback and air quality measurement. And our ideal is that this is not even done from on high, right? It's not big brother managing all this data on your behalf. Ideally, we're pushing that data in real time out to the people who are actually on the floor mm -hmm. um, so that they can make their own decisions, right? They can see, oh, Saul has been really dutiful in his contact regime. So his risk is really low. I'm more likely to say, yeah, let's go, let's go grab a cup of coffee and talk about a work problem. Oh, but if I see that, that Saul has been exposed in a, a potentially risky way, then he and I might 
mutually decide, hey, you know what? Um, this is not a good week. Let's right. do this by Zoom or, or whatever, right? We want ultimately to give the, the power of all this information. We got to simplify it. Because like you said, there's a lot of moving parts. And that's one thing we've learned is it's too easy to overwhelm humans by trying to do the right thing and giving them too much because they got day jobs. They got complicated day jobs. Um, You don't want to be like requiring all that mental effort because that itself is a drain. We want to try to make it easy. So we're trying to boil things down. You think about a credit score, right? Everybody's got a a FICO score and um, it, it folds together a lot of complex information and even a bank. It's too complex for a bank uh, to use all the detailed information. So folding it into a single number is really helpful to drive business decisions. That's kind of what we're trying to do with this, you know, greater wellness perspective is to say, you know, this space has a score, this person has a score, this asset has a score um, so that you can kind of quickly look, is this a red, yellow, green? Move on with my job, right? But I could, I could make in the moment decisions based on that, that um, wouldn't be taxing, hopefully would be reassuring. And we do think over time will improve outcomes, but um, in the end, we're, we may have to wait a couple of years to see enough data to really be able to conclude that. So we're, we're, kind, of, we're kind of working on um, the best information we can see from other epidemiological studies in this area and um, you know, trying to, trying to bring the best experience we can to, to say, we think this is what will we'll do the job. Yeah, that's really interesting, Tim. You know, your example of the credit score paints a good picture. And, uh, you know, I also think about just the competition, right? Like competition for employees. Yes. Right. And if you could somehow make this like one, like, like the leapfrog rating for hospitals, right? Does this fold into like a lead certification, you know, and how are, how should people be thinking about this? That's a fantastic insight. Good on you, man. Um, You're absolutely right. Right. In environments where people are competing for the best employees, I think, whether COVID is done magically this November or whether we live with it for another five years, um, whichever your camp, I think one of the things that's going to be clear is people will know forever now that this is possible and that there are employees, employers that worry about employee wellness and those that don't. And so I think this is a watershed moment where and I think it's a, I think it's a part and parcel of sustainability, which has been an increasing employee value as well, is this becomes a, a part of this. Has my employer shown that they are taking positive steps to address my ongoing wellness? And that impacts not just me, but my family and friends. So it's really important. When you begin to compete with retention and attraction of the best people, I think that's exactly what's going to happen is, is there will be a way to show off that I'm collecting the data, that I'm open and visible with the data, I'm transparent with what I do, I care, and I should also be able to show where I fit in in the ecosystem, right? Because a a credit score is useful to know that I've got a 350, but it's even better when I know that Saul has a 750 because now I I have context. It's like, where do I fit? Yeah. So that benchmarking is really important and will allow people to compete on on an entirely new dimension to get the best people. And that could be a specific employer, it could be a region, it could be a jurisdictional regime, right? Which country is best at managing pandemics? I think we know which countries are lagging. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, over time, right, I, I do think that a score will be something that people will be interested in um, showing off when they're doing really well, being ashamed of when they're not. But ultimately, what I really hope is that the social pressure 
increases that's to the point where, where nobody can afford to ignore it. That's what it is. Yeah. It, it brings it to the fore, right? So if we if the tide rises all boats, some will be higher than others, perhaps, but we want just the stance globally to be doing better with these kind of interventions over time. And there's no way to do that in my mind without clear, concise, and consistent data that you can actually put into people's hands. Yeah, that's powerful, man. I I um I had an interview with um the Leapfrog group leader. And she was talking about how she pulled from the, um, it was a story, uh, the New York Health and Sanitation Department and how they went from not really getting results to assigning basic letters, yeah. A, B, you know, yeah. and, and just yeah. posting it right in the front. Wow, that could destroy your business if you are not up with it. And so very cool stuff, Tim. I I love it. And as you've been building your business model, delivering on this ask, contact tracing, health of the facility and the people within the facility, what have you noticed has been one thing that like maybe your biggest challenge and what have you learned from that, from that challenge? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the most important thing that we've learned is, is that sort of cognitive load lesson of more data doesn't necessarily lead to better outcomes. Yeah, you you alluded to that earlier, yeah. right? Yeah, but yeah. You know, to underscore it, it's worth saying twice, really. Um, you have to contextualize the information in a way that's trustworthy. You're not trying to hide information. So you always want to be able to allow people to drill in and get as, as nitty-gritty detailed as they want to be. But once you've done that and earned some basic trust, you've got to be able to elevate the information so that people can just weave it into what they do. Yeah. Um, particularly in a healthcare environment, you know, you don't want to give a busy nurse another thing that they have to go out of their way to understand, right? It should just be um, easy, letter grade, color, you know, uh, a notification when something's wrong, you know, rather than make it a, another paperwork task or another overwhelming, you know, technical thing. That's really been our job as we've gone through it is ultimately that's what our customers pay us for is to take the complexity out of all this, right? So you're not choosing a wireless network and a and a security model and a cloud provider and all the things that, let's say five years ago, if you wanted to do this, you'd have to choose. You gotta make all of that simple so the buyers can just buy it, um, that there's a, a, a simple way to consume it and that the end users can just kind of adopt it naturally to make their lives better. And ideally they pull that information because they want it. You're not forcing it down their throats. That's been the lesson is really kind of meet the customers where they are and bring them up the sort of educational ladder in terms of using data uh, to make better decisions. Because, you know, it's not the world most of us live in on a daily basis. Um, Although everybody wants more information, more insight, they want to do things better. So how do you make it possible without, you know, getting a PhD and and wireless data, right? So that's really been a lesson is, um, is really focus, 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 simplify, simplify, and bury the complexity but and deliver the insight, but try to do it in a transparent way as well. Man, that's insightful for sure. And, and uh, you're bringing up some good points for all of us to consider around how we manage our, our workplace, how we present information if we consider something like contact tracing. As you reflect on what has happened, this new focus, uh, relatively new focus that you guys are, are on, what are you most excited about today, Tim? Well, you know, like I said, Saul, I, I couldn't have envisioned that this is what we'd be up to uh, this year. Crazy, and right? it, it's crazy and it's gratifying. It's exciting. Yeah. Um, to be able to do well while doing good is, you know, that's the pinnacle. 
I think, of any entrepreneurs uh, wish list. And this has presented, I think, an opportunity to be really impactful both on really individual well-being, which I just, how could you not? I think your audience, right? That's probably what attracted all of us to that. And at the same time, having these societal and economic benefits that are hard to dispose of as well. Um, and particularly work, people working in healthcare, they understand that it's important for them to be effective at work, even while I'm nervous about you know, what this is going to do to their own personal lives. And I'm just excited that I was able to, to bring some of these natty technologies in a way that makes it possible for people to keep doing the good work they need to do while watching their backs for them, right? Because um, ultimately, that's what I feel like we all should be doing, is supporting the, the hard work to get through this. And then over time, building up the awareness that this data is available and it's helpful and you don't need a quarantine to be able to make better decisions. So it's also kind of cool that this is a compelling event that as dire as it is, it will also force people to incorporate these kind of tools and technologies because I think it can... It can improve outcomes over time, even outside of um, this current moment. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's awesome, man. And and yeah, you, you bring out some great, great ideas, some important considerations for all of us. Now's the time to to think ahead. And how can you use what Tim has shared today for, for your own business, for your population that you're responsible for, for your employees? Certainly something to to consider. Tim, this has been so interesting. I really thank you for for the opportunity to to share what what you guys are up to at, at MicroShare. Folks, it's microshare.io if you want to learn more about what they're up to. Tim, share with us a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could engage with you or your team if they want to continue the conversation. Yeah. So first of all, thank you. It's um, humbling and awesome to be able to uh, speak with you and, and present to your audience. I'm really interested in what your audience thinks about these ideas, you know, what their worries and concerns are, because we're still very much in the, in the beginnings of this. You know, we've deployed in some really large scale. We've got tens of thousands of people being um, um, protected by these technologies, but this is really just the beginning. And I think healthcare is an area that has been dealing with sensitive data forever in the service of improving outcomes, right? So this is the audience that is likely to have insights that are applicable to people who are, you know, mining and manufacturing and things that that are typically not dealing with such sensitive information. So I'd be really interested, anybody has any thoughts about uh, what could improve or what angle or what would make it more applicable to them. I think it'll help us improve the outcome for a lot of people and, and ultimately, hopefully keep people out of that intensive care unit and, and make make the healthcare environment more sustainable. So I'd really, you know, you may not be a customer, you may not care about this technology, but I'm really interested in your insight, you know, um, how we can make this better for everybody. Love it. And folks, there you have it, an invitation to, to converse and discuss what the opportunities of this technology could be with Tim. He's uh, opening up his door for a conversation. Uh, and what's the best way for folks to reach out to you if they want to? Yeah, I think the easiest way is if you're on Twitter, you can get me at microshare underscore CTO. Um, send me a direct message and let's open a channel. Love it. There you have it, folks. And we will provide also a link to microshare.io and Tim's Twitter handle on the website, outcomesrocket.health. Type in microshare in the search bar and you'll find that there along with the full transcript questions that we asked Tim and the full interview. 
Tim, this has been awesome, man. Uh, uh, keep up the great work. Uh, really thankful for everything we discussed today. Same here, Saul. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Saul Marquez here. Have you launched your podcast already and discovered what a pain it could be to keep up with editing, production, show notes, transcripts, and operations? What if you could turn over the keys to your podcast busy work while you do the fun stuff like expanding your network and taking the industry stage? Let us edit your first episode for free so you can explain Experience the freedom. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.